This is the afternoon show with Jane Manzoni. Hello, and thank you for this rather cold afternoon. Um, I'm not actually live from London. I'm live from Cardiff today at the home of Barry Smith. I've got a great show lined up for you. Feel free to call in at any time to answer my question of the week. Does charisma matter in teaching? Live from London, this is the Afternoon Show with Jane Manzoni on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello again. Um, I don't have time for a long intro today, plus I haven't written one. I was on the train from London to Cardiff this morning. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about my three guests this afternoon. First up, I have Samuel Elephant. I called you Samuel Elliot. Sorry, Samuel Elephant instead of Samuel Elliot. Samuel Elliot, who is also known as Asbo Teacher on Twitter. Um, Sam must be young because he uses words like lit for good and dead or junk for bad. Um, he likes trainers and has written a book. Plus, he goes to the hairdressers every week, I think. He's serious about pedagogy and claims to be knowledge rich. Samuel's pinned tweet is an article he wrote in The Spectator, so he's a bit of a neo-trad poster boy. And he's also got a badger icon by his name on Twitter, so I'll be trying once again for clarification about the whole badger thing. Um, I'm going to talk to Samuel in just a minute. He is actually... Somebody else wants to be invited in here. I don't know who that is. Okay. Um, second up, I've got Richard Farrow. Uh, Rich, I've known... Oh, who's that? Mute yourself, whoever that is. Okay, sorry. Uh, second up, I've got Richard Farrow. I've known Richard on Twitter from the earliest days. Um, he's a primary school teacher like me, an assistant head who loves boxing, and one of the very few primary school teachers who I would call... Well, no, I mean, I've got plenty of primary school teacher allies on Twitter, but there aren't very many primary school teachers on Twitter compared to the secondary school ones. So um, Richard has got five children. Uh, he lives in a place called Marple, I think, and he works in Manchester. His profile picture is an orange and black hexagon with what looks to be a bat on it. I'll be asking him about that. And he is somebody that I agree with on almost everything on Twitter. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Last up, and maybe chipping in during the show, is Barry, who I'm at his house at the moment. When I first met Barry, I thought he was a bit mad. I wrote a blog about him where I called him Scootaloop. It wasn't just about him, actually. It was a parody of Michaela where he used to work. And I think I called him Scootaloop. In fact, I know I called him Scootaloop. Barry has a shiny head and loves wine, and he can't take a cocktail. Um, I bought him a bottle of Barolo, but I don't think we're drinking that this afternoon. I think we're going to be on white wine. Barry is into chanting and slant and other acronyms that make children behave themselves. Barry was once called the strictest head teacher in England, I think. He makes the headlines quite often for normally something to do with being too strict at school. Barry isn't actually that scary in person, um, but he probably would have given Samuel a few detentions if he was his teacher. Okay, that's enough from me as an intro. I'm just going to put on the adverts and then I'm going to talk to Sam. Need support with your phonics teaching? 
Did you know Oxford University Press now has three BFE-validated programs to help you? Read, write, ink, phonics, floppy phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello, Hello everyone, everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, hotline the hottest line for all things Black History and Beyond. I'm your, I'm your host, Diana Lindbrook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find, Find out, out more at, at www.malcd.com. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Samuel, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is the sound okay, Barry? Is the sound okay? He's going to type something. I've been getting loads of abuse for calling you Samuel Elephants on here. I don't know why that happened. Anyway, how are you? Oh, no, you're very... You're very echoey. Yeah, well, um, no, it was quite funny. It made me laugh a lot. So, um, yeah, I guess it broke the ice a little bit. But, um, yeah. But you're not Samuel Elephant. You're Samuel Elliott. It is quite hard to say, especially with my speech impediment. I've got a bit of a lisp. I only realised I've got a lisp recently because I've started listening to myself back. So that's weird. Anyway, I'm going to crack on with some actual questions. Uh, the sound is really echoey. I don't know what to do about that. Never mind. Uh, have you got a cocktail for me, Sam? Okay, so cocktail, I don't drink, to be honest with you. I stopped drinking because, you know, I wanted to focus 100% on pedagogy and uh, my sport that is teaching. <laughs> I'm not much of a drinker, but uh, if I were to have a cocktail, usually I go to the bar and proudly declare that I'd like a snake bite. And if it's a more upmarket establishment, then so much the better, because um, they'll look on horror on their face. It makes it all worth it. So, yeah, probably a snake bite um, if I had to pick a cocktail. But usually it's a Diet Coke. A snake bite isn't a cocktail. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to have to let you get away with that. Isn't it a snake bite? Um, oh, you know, I don't know what's going on with my headphones. I can't hardly hear myself. Uh, isn't a snake bite cider and black? Cider, black, and lager. Oh, I, there was a myth at university that if you drank that, it was like going to make you drunker than anything you'd ever drunk before. Is that true? I never drank it because of that. Energy, strangely, but like I say, I'm teetotal. I don't drink. Um, I'm a very good and moral, upstanding citizen. So, um, you know, I, maybe back in the day when I would drink that, it probably would have 
given me a lot of energy and what have you. But, um, you know, now I'm just an upstanding citizen, to be honest with you. Okay. I was expecting you to sound like a brummy. How comes you sound like quite posh? I've got a teacher voice, to be honest oh. with you. I mean, it's quite, quite well, the assumption that everyone's going to sound like um, have an accent or codes, not be able to code switch, you know, to be honest with you. Um, if somebody does have an accent or doesn't have an accent, it's a different ball game, really. Teachers, you have to sound professional. I wouldn't get a job if I sounded like half of my friends do. And to be honest, I've spent a few years sort of purging my accent a little bit. Um, oh. Occasional little twang, potentially, but not when I'm doing a podcast or when I'm teaching. Fair enough. When I was at university, I don't tell people very often, I went to Cambridge, but I had such a London Cockney accent and I think I purged it um, without realising. So I don't have it anymore. Yeah. Okay, uh, my second question to you is, I've got terrible feedback in my ears, I don't know what to do about that, um, is for you to tell people a little bit about your career in teaching. Okay, so start where I where I began, I suppose. I started started in Charmsley Wood, which is if you don't know it, it's an area of Birmingham. It's uh, it's like a section of urban sprawl. There's a lot of deprivation in that area, so it's not the easiest place to cut your teeth, so to speak. Um, but I started unqualified there. Technically, my designation was a like a graduate learning coach, but I had a lot of classes that I was given anyway, just because. If you're paying 16K pro rata, why not get your money's worth out of the poor, you know, graduate learning coach? So I taught a fair few classes when I wasn't even qualified. Um, and obviously I got terrorized, as many people do when they start in the profession. Uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Like, it was tough, um, especially me and my one friend. Um, we sort of worked together and said, how do we deal with this disruption? And together we, we formulated a lot of strategies that, to be fair, we weren't reading much of the literature at that time because we were so inundated with work. And what's interesting, I think, is a lot of, we sort of alighted upon traditional ideas um, as the most sensible courses of action before doing the PGCE. And then after I did the PGCE and they told me, um, they said, Sam, you've got to teach without even speaking and you've got to, you got to sit down and basically let the kids run around and do marketplace activities. And, uh, you know, you, you had so many rings run around me, I could have been sponsored by Spirograph, to be honest with you, because that was what they seemed to want. I had no idea. I've got lollipop sticks, apparently, that I have to use. I have to uh, do all manner of strong, like, showstopper-type uh, lessons. So, weirdly, PGC sent me backwards because I had managed to, you know, control classes, but then they told me you have to teach in this kind of look, mum, no hands kind of way. And so I did what I was told, um, and that that was it. And then after that, I sort of had my own – I had a better mentor in NQT. I listened to her. She was very strong, and she told me, Sam, you know, the relationship comes through the learning. Stop with all the nonsense. And I sort of breathed the internal sigh of relief. I said, stop with all the nonsense. You know what? I think I should. And then I just taught with that permission. And she even said to me, look, Sam, they're not going to grade you outstanding on your PGC, but I'm going to just put outstanding on your forms, even though you're teaching teacher-led. I'm going to do that for you. And I said, thank you very much. And so I got uh, good observations because of that, because I had the mentor who sort of did a kind of accountancy trick and uh, 
yeah, he's not doing all this group work nonsense, happy, clappy, active, personalized learning or whatever, but he is making a lot of progress with the kids. So that was how I, it was that loophole really of the mentor. And then after that, um, I had the lockdown as NQT plus one and I missed teaching. So I wrote a book. Um, that's my career thus far. Okay, I'm trying to limit how much I talk because I've got really terrible feedback and I don't know if that's coming across. I'm going to talk quieter as well. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I can sort of see where your neo-trad views, if you like, that's where you fit into on Twitter, isn't it, come from, if that's your experience. I think I trained so long ago that all those proggy things are so much of a distant memory for me and I, I, I just started teaching how how it worked for me, which is quite traditional at times. And, and there are some progressive things that I do. But I, yeah, I mean, I think it makes it clear where you are. I wanted to ask you for my next question, why you love David Didal so much, because you're a bit of a fanboy, aren't you? Well, let's make one thing clear. I'm not a fanboy of David Didal per se, because I don't really know him that well. You know, I'm a fan of his books. His books are the most straightforward. They contain the most relevant information you're going to need. People on Twitter will sometimes say, I don't like Die Dow's books, whatever. I can't for the life of me work out why. They have some of the most sensible, practical, and easily implementable suggestions that I've found in edge literature. Like it's, it's a no-brainer, really. And what I found was I'd read a lot of books during my PGC because I was frustrated. I'd read Getting the Buggers to Behave, you know, the one with the tin of dog food and the Mars bar thing. I'd read a lot of different books that were advocating, you know, more independence for the learners or, or, you know, standing at the door and saying, hello, how are you? What's your favorite color? You know, is there a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow or whatever? And then I just read that and, and I thought, who is this David Didal person? Um, why is he saying all this sensible stuff? And why is he saying that the people who are telling me to stop talking are a bunch of ill-informed idiots? And I'm not plugging him. You know, to be honest with you, I'm not plugging him because Chris Dudulu and Dai Dao, it's not like I speak to them. It's not like I hit them up on WhatsApp and say, you know, and talk to them all night long. I barely even talk to them. But I've read their books and their books, they seemed to, it seemed to find all of the nonsense. It just rooted it out. Um, and I even used the phrase I said to you, Jane, on the chat. I said that the reason I like Dai Dao is because he's got a, a bullshit detector strong enough to find Calpat in New Zealand. That is, um, and that's why I like his books. And it rescued my um, NQT. And to be honest, Barry's talking about what if he'd had a dreadful mentor? Well, there have been times when I had had dreadful mentors too. But because of those books that I read, I had the sort of, I had recourse to something else to be able to challenge what they were saying and to actually do what I knew to be correct. Um, so that's why, yeah, I like David Didal's books. So you wouldn't use his book as a doorstop, which I think is what I wrote on my review of it. Um, okay, I'm going to move on because he's had enough plugs now. Uh, Barry, if you want to call in, I don't know whether it's going to make the sound worse or not, but you can now if you want because you've got enough to say on the chat. Uh, my next question is, what are the best trainers? Trainers? Oh, it's got to be... Yeah, um... you don't like mine, do you? Sketches, no. <laughs> Come on, sort it out. Sketches are, uh, you know, if your mum got your sketches for Christmas, you'd be raging. I wouldn't. Um, not, not, no, I yours are. No, I'd like them. The new ones are 
ones were okay. It was the other ones, the uh, the ones I said they looked like a Polly Pocket uh, Malibu. Yeah, that's a good description. Yeah, no, I'd say Air Max 90s are my personal favourite. Like the shape, you know, the, the colour schemes, like, um, and you know, I guess I'm a. You know, that was what we wore growing up at growing up at school. We'd have the Air Max 90s, and if you didn't have them, you know, you just wouldn't. No one would talk to you. They were just the trainers you had. Um, so yeah, I still wear them to this day. And I just like them, you know. I've actually got Barry as you're speaking now. Barry, have you got an opinion about trainers? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, that's nice. Uh, trainers, no, not really. My age, you know, it's more orthopedic I'm looking for. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to ask um, Sam if he would have liked you as a teacher now you're here as well. Would. Sam. Hello? Would you have liked Barry as a teacher? Let's... You said at the start he would have given me lots of detentions. The thing is, he wouldn't have given me any detentions because I never would have messed around in the first place because he sweats the small stuff and I wouldn't have – that slippery slope, I would never have embarked upon that slippery slope. I would have stayed at the peak. I would have achieved and I would have done well. And my form tutor, who I always boast about, she is the assistant head of the DFE, Miss Majaria, and she taught me – you know, super. She was incredibly strict, and she held me to account. Expectations, and on my report, she she explained what I needed to do. You know, she took me to a detention. She held my hand and grabbed my hand, and you know, dragged me to the detention so that I did the detention, and I passed my maths GCSE. And I'm not really a mathematician. You know, I got five C's at GCSE. If I'd have dropped any of those GCSEs, I wouldn't have gone to sixth form. You know, I would have gone to a college or on an apprenticeship route or something, which is fine. But, you know, in, with hindsight, I think I am perhaps more, you know, written and academically minded. So with Barry, I think it's very clear where you stand with him. You know, the rules and routines that he has. He likes slant. Not everyone does. But at least with slant, as Lamov says, you're not rendering it ambiguous what you want people to do. You know, Lamov talks about... Um, I don't do slant, for instance, but Lamov actually talks about it's better than just saying having vague commands like calm down. It's a specific and useful command like, you know, please return to your seat, begin writing or sit up, track the speaker, ask and answer questions like a scholar and respect those around you, that star. So, Do you honestly you think you would have responded to that as a 15-year-old? I wouldn't have done you've got to understand the way that disruption works it doesn't happen straight away um disruption happens about two or three lessons in proper disruption once you've you push the boundaries initially and you see what you can get away with and it's baby steps at first you don't know if this person's going to ring your mum no one wants to have their mum wrong there's a couple of kids who their parents don't care or their parents just couldn't give to you know whatever but a lot of kids they're thinking is this person going to ring my mum and dad um, and so you test them at first. And with Miss Majaria, um, and probably if I'd had Barry as a teacher, they would have immediately made it very clear to me that I was going to face consequences and I had to do very specific things. And I would have just done And every kid would do it. You could have the roughest kid in the, in the neighborhood. You know, I promise you, there's kids, there's kids in Bordesley Green I've taught, which is one of the most deprived parts of Birmingham. There's kids in Chalmsley Wood. And they, there's certain teachers, they say, I don't mess around for I don't mess around for her. I'd get, I'd be annihilated. She'd be on the phone to my mum. 
even no matter how rough they are, they've got a McDonald's haircut, Air Max trainers, Lacoste tracksuit, whatever. They still, they like, and they like the boundaries. They like the boundaries because they don't want to, well, I'll leave it there. But you know what I'm trying to say? Essentially, no, I would, that Barry wouldn't have given me any detentions because I would have known where I stood and it would have been very unambiguous. Didn't you succeed, really, though, when you were doing it all by yourself for A-levels and further on? It wasn't really a teacher, was it? It was all self-directed. self-directed. No, it was, when, it was when you've got all your great A-levels. I was compelled because my family had lost their business. So we didn't have, we lived in some really rubbish house where I had a little box room that I shared with my brother and it was like six foot by six foot or something ridiculous. So I didn't even have a legally, I didn't even have a bedroom. And I was sat there with a little desk from Ikea that cost 10 quid. Um, and there was, I was, I had moved from my friends. I had moved from my peer group. I had no one to talk to. I had no money. I had to walk some days because I didn't always have bus fare. Sometimes it was bus or lunch, you know, I had to make the choice. Um, I had free school meals, but that didn't always fill me up, you know. Um, So I was compelled in a sense because of the recession, because I'd thought that I was going to grow up and run a pub like my mum and dad did, because we lived in a pub before the recession. Um, We lost it. Bailiffs could have been knocking the door. I wasn't allowed to open the door. I joke in my book that if my mates turned up in black jackets, they were in for a long wait because I wasn't allowed to open the door. Um, so essentially it wasn't entirely self-directed. I did have a compulsion there. I was thinking, is it going to be this or the job center? Cause my mum and dad are taking me to the job center and I'm seeing the humongous line and all the people and the characters, the bright and colorful characters standing in the line to the job center. And I'm thinking, am I going to be, you know, in that job, in that line with all of these people, you know? So there was an element of compulsion, but yeah, I did grind it out with textbooks and it was very unpleasant. It was very hard. I barely knew how to punctuate and spell. Um, it wasn't nice. And I, if I'd had, if I'd had the kind so of instructions, say, say, what you As I, I can hardly hear myself. Um, it's really terrible. Uh, is it, Barry? You can hear me, can't you? Is it as bad on live as it is in my earphones, or not? Tell me if if people can't hear me. Yeah. No, I was just saying that if it's self-directed. The learning it's not down to but you think you would have done better if you'd had like barry as your teacher well yeah because sense? i would have had more i would have had more background knowledge it would have been a better springboard um are you able to hear me okay is, it, is the sound i can or... hear you no i can hear you it's just as soon as i say anything i hear myself in my headphones so it's really difficult to talk for me yours is fine for me it's for everyone else it's fine oh, that's um good. So, yeah, basically, um, I think for me, I'm just the kind of person that I won't do something unless I have to. Um, and I had a different reason for having to do stuff, whether it was Miss Majaria forcing me to do it or whether it was the recession giving me that sort of fear of going to the job centre. There was always some ultimate re- rationale for what I was doing. Um, <laughs> Barry's powering you off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I just think, and that's why I get very moralistic about what I see on Twitter because I've taught these kids, I've been one of these kids, I know that certain kids just could not care less. I know that certain kids that I used to hang out with are borderline sociopaths and will honestly do whatever they can to bully or even to beat up and attack um, anybody they can. And I've seen a history teacher wrestled into a toilet for being um, 
for being too lax with the rules and routines. So for me, mm. it's very high stakes, and I do care a lot about um, those rules and routines being implemented uh, in schools. Across. Yeah, well, I mean, all good reasons to be the way you are. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you whether charisma matters in teaching. Now, I think I know what you're going to say. I think, um, I think in terms of charisma, I do have some level of charisma. I think a lot of teachers, I, there are many teachers I know who do have charisma. My problem is that, firstly, how do you even define it? It's quite nebulous. And secondly, if you do make charisma a demand of teaching, then it becomes less of an actual job and it becomes more of this sort of strange journey, performance, and they're not, every, you know, look, let's be honest. If someone is selected to teach because they know maths really well, it's not like they're going to be some, um, you know, Shakespearean actor or have rather level of um, eloquent whatever direction. They're, they're probably not going to be the greatest performer on earth. It's not um, the greatest showman. It's teaching, you know. So charisma has helped me a lot, definitely, but I've also been thrown in at the deep end quite a lot. And um, I don't think that charisma should be a demand for teaching. And Barry's saying it's salesmanship. Fair. I've seen Barry on YouTube. He's very charismatic. You know, he talks with a lot of energy and pace. Not everyone's like Barry. Not everyone can be a demon. You know, some people are mere mortals. Um, so I think it's a problem when um, they say, oh, you so have to So does it make it easier? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can sit there with my form group. They do these weird five-hour, six-hour form times in, in British schools where you have to sit with your form for five or six hours. And a lot of teachers come back to the staff room rubbing their head like, oh, so-and-so's got the scissors and cut someone's hair off and they're all running around why are we having to spend five hours with the form but I've been having a conversation with the class for five hours and they're enthralled you know they love hearing all these crazy stories and they come and tell stories too and I'm very open to chatting and, and talking with them but um I haven't taught them anything really it's just sort of I've, I've entertained them um and sometimes it can break the ice with a difficult class and then you can begin the subject knowledge based instructions um, but I don't think, I don't think it should be a requirement because what other job, you know, teaching is a job at the end of the day, it's a job with poor retention and poor recruitment. And if the recruitment isn't poor at the minute, well, it's going to drop again soon. Um, that's what figures are showing at the moment. So how can we make this whole greatest showman type? Um, you need to be a Barnum and Bailey style performer to come and do the job. We do, well, I don't think we can afford to be choosers in that respect. We just need people with subject knowledge who are backed by the school and the school culture and where kids have very clear expectations that they're going to work no matter who's teaching them. But do you think you might have to fake charisma if you haven't got it in order to hold the room? Like, you might not have charisma. I don't think you could possibly make... I don't think you could say, oh, it's, it's something you have to have. You can't do that, obviously. But do you think you probably have to fake it to hold the class, I sort of think you do. Um, I just don't know if you can. I don't know if you can fake charisma. And to be honest, it depends what you mean by charisma because sometimes people interpret charisma as being like happy, clappy, I'm going to run around and jump, do star jumps and all that. But actually, there can be very sort of misanthropic, you know, very moody teachers who are actually really quite loved just for the fact that they couldn't, they appear that they couldn't care less. Um, there's many ways to have charisma. So even then, I guess it comes back to the definition of the term. Like, what do we even mean by charisma? And, and if we can't talk about it meaningfully, 
I think it's one of those things where, you know, whereof we, whereof one cannot speak, one passes over in silence, as some philosopher says. Um, can't remember who, but somebody yeah, called I, I, Jen. Somebody called Jen Beecher says you need to ensure engagement. I think that's what I was saying about faking it. Like, I mean, you, you have to get your children to hang on to your every word, otherwise they're not going to learn anything. So that's ensuring engagement anyway we can move on from that because like you say we haven't really got a meaningful definition of charisma so it might not be the easiest thing to talk about i'm going to ask you now what you um think are character traits that that help in teaching so that might be nailing down charisma a bit more perhaps okay um obviously you know this the whole um the sort of stuff that you would copy and paste from thesaurus.com and stick on your CV, you know, persistence, ambition, grit, determination, all those things. But um, I also think you do have to have a, a passion for the academic. I think you have to be able to see the subject and to break it down into manageable chunks. And I think sometimes, you know, being a big picture thinker can be a bit of a drawback. Because you need to know the subject in very specific, granular level of detail. And it's all very well being, you know, star jumpy, you know, charismatic, you know, um, kids get on the table and say, oh, captain, my captain, whatever. But if you don't really know the subject in that level of granular detail and you're not obsessed enough to work and find out and to actually think, how do I get this into the kid's head? How do I get them to retain this? What's the best analogy to make this relatable? If you don't think in that way, then perhaps you don't have the character for teaching. And if you're one of those who's easily frustrated, you definitely don't have the character for teaching because you're going to be frustrated quite a lot. I get frustrated. I'll teach them a 12 mark question and suddenly I haven't got the essay that I expected. They haven't argued like I wanted. So what am I going to do? Go in and start go in and start berating them? No, I've got to think, you know, hang on, maybe it was me. And you've got to take responsibility. I think you've got to say to yourself, look, yes, they've done something wrong. Yes, they might have misbehaved, but I'm not just going to blame them and throw my hands up. I'm going to try and problem solve and, um, and make it work somehow. So flexible thinking, patience, and what was the third thing? Taking responsibility. That's what Barry's uh, writing. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I have to take my earphones off, so I don't know if he actually said anything there. Um, my next my next question is, what would you say to a 15-year-old um, ASBO teacher? So this was when you were, like, maybe not doing so well at school. Have you got some advice for the young you? The problem is you just can't, until, you're actually, until you actually experience that sort of, until you look over that precipice and see, hang on, am I going to go to the job centre? There's no words of advice that can um, help you. I mean, I even had my auntie, my auntie Bridie saying she'd give me uh, £200 for every GCSE A grade I got. And I, it's, I didn't care. For some reason, the incentive didn't work. I had teachers remonstrating with me saying, Sam, you're very clever. Sam, you're whatever. And I just thought, I don't care, you know, because my peer group is what I'm playing up to. And I think Barry's... A tweet earlier about street culture versus school culture. The peer culture was one where you hung outside bargain booths in Air Max trainers, you rode dirt bike in the park or you rode a moped. You know, that was the culture. It was a whole aesthetic. You wanted to fit in with that. And even though it wasn't going anywhere, I mean, if you look ahead, a lot of those people now, 
well, I can't even say, you know, Cov Telegraph mugshots, let's put it that way, you know. It wasn't going anywhere, but it was still something you acted up for and you want. And I still, to this day, I have some of those tendencies. I still wear the Air Max trainer. It does have a, a lasting impression on you. Um, and it's not just about, it moves beyond peer approval. You sort of internalize that peer culture for yourself. It's not just about wanting someone to like nod the head at you and stick their thumb up and say, well done, lad. It's actually like you just internalize the culture. And, you know, I think you can still sense a bit of it on Twitter. And my character, the way I talk on Twitter, is still informed, in a sense, by that peer culture uh, that I was growing up around. Uh, Barry's saying it's your identity. Uh, so you're saying there's yes. really nothing you could have said to 15-year-old you. You would have just um, found your way like you have. You have to experience it. You have to actually be brought up against that ultimate consequence. Um, and that's when you can turn it around you know but I, I think you have to have you have your own journey yeah okay I, I think I could have talked to 15 year old me but um, I'm not sure what I would have said to her but I would have tried something okay uh, my next question is what thing would you change in teaching you, you can only change one and let's talk about the British system here yeah okay so in the British system I think I think the problem, it goes down to the accountability, or it comes down to certain systems have been made so high stakes. Um, for instance, even GCSEs, having the 5A to C or 5 above a level 4 is like, it's make or break. It's like the EBAC, you're evaluated on the EBAC and you're evaluated on the inspections. Because it's so high stakes, who are at the top are locked into this, this situation where nobody can take collective responsibility for what's happening it essentially becomes a case of because it's so high stakes, everybody's enforcing a system, many of which, many of whom do not even agree with the system. It's a paper, it's a sort of a, it's an origami chain of paper trails that just doesn't go anywhere. And um, yeah, it, can you hear me? Okay, is my sound quality all right? Or um, I think it's my, I think it's my headphones. I'm gonna have to get some new ones. Anyway, carry on. Okay. But, but I think I think the whole inspection, and then I think I think it's a confounding metric. I think there's schools in the UK that are supposedly outstanding that aren't, and then they take over whole multi academy trusts and run the schools in a way that's not outstanding at all. You know, as Barry says, supposedly there's a kind of there's these ersatz um, outstanding grades kicking about, and then they're green lighted to take over trusts. So I think the whole, I think Ofsted grading, if I had to change one thing, I would change Ofsted grading and I would stop it. And I know Tom, Tom Rogers talks a lot about it. I think it's one of his rare agreements with uh, that Paul guy, you know, Paul, um, whatever, I can't remember his name, Garvey. I think, Talk um, teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think just get rid of the gradings. I think it's so high stakes and there's so many managers with skin in the game. They, they're going to obviously focus on the surface features that Ofsted are looking for. Even when Ofsted make pronouncements that we're not looking for surface features, people are still going to anticipate what they want, you know? So I think the gradings are um, a problem, and I don't think any school or teacher should have a little badge on them saying we are outstanding because you're not outstanding for what you did yesterday. You're outstanding every day, and it's more to do with the grades the grades the kids get rather than what an inspector has said. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's outstanding. Should have gone a long time ago. And Barry's just said second guessing Ofsted is huge. What you get schools just doing a dance, trying to get the the badge. You know, uh, I I do agree with you on that one. Okay, my next question is: um, If you weren't a teacher, what would you be? I'm almost certainly I'd be in some kind of vocation builder construction something like that because um if i wasn't if i weren't a teacher i suppose I, I don't know maybe i would have done writing at some point maybe but i just i felt there was a gravitational pull towards vocations when i was at school um yeah i, th I think i'd probably be in something like that i would have you know chatted to my friends and i would have gone and done a bit of laboring on a site or maybe uh, worked with my dad or something and you know, crafted out. And, and to be honest, I'd probably be on more money. You know, no joke. Like, um, it's not hard, is it? If I did a vocation, yeah, I'd be on more money, you know. I could be a carpenter or I could be a, a labourer of some kind. I could be some kind of specialist technical engineer. Yeah, I mean, and I would have been on more money. So it's quite funny, really. Like, people might listen in and say, oh, Sam would be a builder. That's ridiculous. You know, why is he trying to no actually it's it's snobbery you know you can earn quite a lot in trades especially when you're vocationally qualified so probably yeah i would have gravitated towards that sort of route yeah there's nothing wrong with being a builder we all need we all need a house don't we okay um are you going to write another book and what will it be about if you do yeah i'm thinking of writing a book obviously you know i'm on a contract at the minute at a you know decent place but at some point in the future what I want to do is there was this there's this guy called Charlie Carroll who wrote a book in the 2010s and it was called On the Edge and he went to the toughest schools in the UK he signed up to these agencies and said send me to the worst schools you got and he went in a camper van and he toured the worst schools in the UK and, and he gets terrorized his kids just effing and blinding at him you know he, he's you know, it's like notes from a small island. If Bill Bryson got told to f off every seven pages, you know, it's it's a it's a great book, but he essentially got terrorised. Um, what I want to do is do the same thing ten years on, but try and see it as like I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this tough school and I'm gonna I'm gonna win. I'm gonna the kids are gonna respect me. The kids are gonna learn, and um, yeah, essentially I'm gonna go in and conquer essentially rather than just allow myself to sit back and be terrorized not that charlie did that it was very tough for him but um yeah and i'd call it bad manners but spelled b-a-d-m-a-n-o-r-s like bad manners like bad areas sounds awful come on barry you know it sounds or it sounds lit right and it would be a good no book. no I no think no i think you need sound quality lit. Yeah. yeah you can hear lit. That's the, that's the important word can you you can hear me all right can't you it is really bad today. I think it's my headphones, but uh, yeah, I can hear most. When I don't say anything, it's much better, which is why I'm not cutting in very much. Okay, um, that sounds like a great project. I hope you do that. I'll read that one. Um, and I read your other one as well. And I don't read many books, so that's a compliment for you. My next question is, why is an oxbow lake the only thing I remember from geography at secondary school? I um I thought that was a good question when I read it and uh, yeah I, I thought about it I thought I think it's the word oxbow you know when the word oxbow it's like a concrete image you think of an actual bow so it's going to stick in your memory more than an abstract word would because it's a concrete word so if I said a word like 
communitarianism or something abstract, it would be less um, less memorable than Oxbow. I think as well, you know, Oxbow is the final stage in this story of an erosional and depositional landform, the meander. So you're going to be talking about it quite a lot. You talk about the build-up, you talk about the narrative of how it's formed. And as Daniel Willingham says, you know, stories are psychologically privileged. So I think it's two things. It's the concrete nature of the word and then it's the story that's told um the story that's told that builds up to to that and and people tend to remember the end of a story as well don't they you know like the ladies the head in the box in that movie seven or, or george shooting lenny and of mice and men the oxbow is like the end of the story isn't it the story of the river um but yeah that's actually a serious answer. I thought it was just a silly question. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. And my last question is, uh, what the hell is Badgered? Um, Badger, Badgered is a... I don't even know, to be honest with you. I mean, some people <laughs> say it's about drowning up binary arguments on Edge of Twitter through, um, you know, just being absurd. And, and there is an element to that. But then again, you know, I'm always creating binary arguments myself. And I'm always, you know, smack talking people on, on Twitter or whatever, right? I, I think it's just about just not being taking yourself too seriously, talk a load of random stuff, treat Twitter like one big DM. It's just nonsense. And the funny thing is, what I like about it is people say, oh, why don't you DM? Well, I'll tell you why we don't DM. Because when people have the DMs... The, the chat coming up on their timeline and they can't escape it, they end up joining and it gets bigger. So it's actually quite clever networking, even though it was never intended as anything rather than just bantering, essentially. Um, so Badgered is a sort of uh, anyone can join it. The only, the only thing you need to go on, what are you saying? I'd accept that as an explanation if I hadn't come to blows with certain badgers and you're so different in your outlooks and approaches to conversation on Twitter. So you're lighthearted and Tabitha's lighthearted, but others in your Badger crew are not. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I was trying to say, is, is there an overarching theme to Badger talking that I've missed? But, um, yeah, okay. People are all different, aren't they? I've been, I've been blocked by certain people in Badger Ed. It's, it's whatever, you know, I don't really mind. It's just... Um, <laughs> You just get on, you just talk on the thread, you talk some nonsense, you crack a couple of jokes, and people do join up to it, and, and people end up meeting off of it. And uh, yeah, I don't, I'm quite happy that it's a thing. It's if people do, you know, you're not going to get get on with everyone, are you? It's life, you know. Yeah. Some people are going to hate you. So, yeah, but what I mean is, you're not really unified as a crew. <laughs> You've all got the icon, but that's that was my point. That I, I don't think certain of you badgers, I feel like I I'm on a level with, and others not necessarily. And I, I've had my most uh, heated exchanges over the past couple of months with with other badgers. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, it's a very complicated ecosystem, you know, and there's all kinds of different uh, people <laughs> in it. And that, that's why I like it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if my next call I'm going to have better sound quality with. Let's hope so. Thank you so much for joining me, Sam. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Enjoy your haircut. Oh. Bye. Okay.
This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. In an article published on the University's UK website, it has been highlighted that most teaching, learning, student support and extracurricular activities are now being held in person on many campuses. The article challenges the narrative about the student experience being primarily online and makes it clear that this is not something that University UK recognises. Universities UK state that for most students it will be a student experience much more like what universities were offering pre-pandemic. The article goes on to acknowledge that some elements of teaching and learning are still being delivered online but that there is no one-size-fits-all and that the online offer will differ from university to university. Half a million million more disadvantaged disadvantaged children children are to receive receive new laptops laptops and tablets to provide access access to education and support. The government has announced a £126 million funding boost to the Get Help with Technology programme. The funding boost will provide up to 10,000 new laptops and tablets to all children with a social worker and those leaving care, and children who have recently arrived from Afghanistan. The scheme will also provide additional devices to schools and colleges to support pupils who are not in lessons due to COVID-19. The Education Secretary, Nadim Zahawi, said £126 million investment for those children who need them most will complement learning in schools and help drive our work to level up long-term outcomes for those in care or leaving care. In the Channel Islands, ITV News is reporting that school pupils and staff in Jersey are being urged to keep testing themselves for coronavirus during the October half-term. In a letter to schools and parents, Deputy Medical Officer of Health, Dr Ivan Muscat, says it is essential for islanders to remain vigilant following an increase in transmission rates across the British Isles. Dr Muscat says that twice-weekly lateral flow testing and reporting of positive cases is even more vital during the holidays as people are more likely to be travelling abroad and mixing with friends and family. More than 6,500 students and school staff have signed up to the testing scheme so far. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio Weekend News. Hang on a minute. Can I? Can you hear me now, Richard? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, could you hear me before? No. Oh, <laughs> I can now. It's fine. <laughs> and, and actually, all my feedback's gone. So thank goodness for that. It was Sam's fault. Sam, if you're still listening, it was your yeah, fault. Yeah, maybe he wasn't wearing headphones. I don't know. Yeah, it was terrible for me. I was. Do you know? Do you know what? You know what he's saying about Oxbow Lake. It's interesting because yeah. obviously I'm a primary school teacher like you. Yeah. We, we've just done that topic in geography and all we had all that specific rivers vocabulary. And that's exactly how I taught in my class. You know, it's a bow in the shape of a bow. And like all the other things, it's just making stories. I just thought I'd mention yeah. it seeing as people remembered Oxbow Lake. Straight yeah, away. it is literally the only thing I remember. I do remember <laughs> colouring. I remember colouring in as well. I remember colouring around um, the the coastline in like doing a little blue squiggle around the coastline of the entire world and spending doing it really beautifully and thinking oh that's gorgeous that's what I remember from Jesus I got an A actually so I must oh, well have done. 
I must have known something <laughs> to pass the exam. Okay, um, have you got a cocktail for me? Are you Rich or Richard, by the way? Either, norm- normally Richard. I don't, it doesn't really shorten at work, everyone calls me Richard. Okay, Richard. Well, or maybe, a- so, maybe some other words sometimes, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, um, yeah, have you got a cocktail for me? I don't really drink cocktails. I can't really handle that strength of alcohol anymore. I just like to drink beer and just keep it sort of on a level. But when I did drink cocktails, which was many years ago, mojito was the cocktail that I preferred. Oh, I hate I like those. The, like the mint in it. It's like drinking life. a garden. If yeah, you go to I the like wrong that. place, it's, they, they just shove so much greenery in it. You've got like <laughs> mint leaves shoved up your nose. It's awful. Look, there's loads of chat on here. I've got to say what people are saying. Jen Beach has said we don't colour in anymore. What's Samuel? I work with Jen. I work with oh, Jen. Oh, okay. We don't colour <laughs> in anymore. <laughs> Stop volume shaming. What's that mean? Oh, it's, it was your fault, Sam. It was awful <laughs> talking to you. I'm having a perfectly nice conversation now. Right. My next question is... Uh, I told people a bit about your career so far. So I said you're an assistant head teacher in Manchester, yeah. but I mean, people won't know really anything about you unless they follow you on Twitter. Um, yeah, so uh, I came into teaching late, really. I sort of, I, I did a degree, I fell into a master's and did, ended up doing a PhD and I was lecturing for a, for a bit. The field that I was lecturing in, uh, had like year-long contracts and after a while it just became so precarious the sort of employment situation that I ended up working as a postman um, and that's sort of when I met my wife and she had a, a two-year-old uh, son at the time and it was only when he went to school that I'd, I think I'd approached education as like uh, working in a university as we were the top dogs and then he started bringing home these reading books and he started bringing home the phonics stuff. And I remember thinking, oh, that's quite interesting, that. That's a bit more scientific than I imagined. So I sort of thought, okay, maybe I'll think about doing this. So I went and did some time in a secondary school and thought, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and then I did some sort of work experience in a primary school and thought I'd give that a go. So I ended up becoming a primary school teacher a bit sort of late, about... 13 years ago now um and then worked as a teacher I've always worked in pretty tough schools um and then I became like writing lead moved my way up phase lead and now assistant head I think I might ask you a question that's further down because it seems to fit in with um what you've just said well I don't know if it does or not uh, yeah. do you think being a man in in primary teaching has been helpful or not because you you, pro- you seem to progress fairly quickly no I don't no. think it's helpful at all I, okay. I ultimately I think people employ people like them and I've never worked for a male head ever oh, right, yeah. so I and all my immediate line managers have always been women I, so it's just I, I, don't, I don't think it's hindered me, but I don't think it's helped me. You know how like lots of men end up in primary leadership positions, just seem mm. almost by default sometimes. And there's far more head teachers that are men than women, even though there's far more women that are uh, teachers than men, mm. which is it, totally incongruous, really. But I, I, I don't think it's helped. I don't think it's hindered. I just I think it's pretty neutral, really. 
Yeah. Well, I think maybe men just want the promotions more than women. I don't know if that's a, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that, but perhaps that's why there's so many more male heads because they, they go for the jobs. Um, yeah. And I, it comes down to like, if you've, if I think it's to do with family ultimately is yeah, women, I, women with children who work full time, I have nothing but massive admiration for them because if their husband also works and they expect, you know, their house runs traditionally in that the woman takes control of the household and the children and she's like the primary caregiver. I think that they feel that they're not doing a good enough job at home because they're not at home and they can't put the time in um, to do the work at home because they're looking after their kids. Do you see what I mean? It's an impossible balancing act. And I think a lot of people, it's just an, just an impossibility to do the two yeah I I don't have children I but I don't mm. know how I, I don't know how people do it I like my job and having a life that isn't a job seems to take up everything you've had children as well it's like having two jobs I don't know how anyone does it so I like that's I'm amazed and, and you've got five children haven't you six six yeah. six. Oh, six sorry six. sorry last then... child that I've, I've knocked off of the, face of the earth. <laughs> but then my wife doesn't work so this is you know so that's her her role is to look after the kids yeah. if if she worked i'm not sure i could hold down the job that i'm doing if you see what i mean i just yeah. don't don't think i'd physically have the time to do it okay i'm going to ask you now what you think needs to change in teaching uh, samuel said yeah I heard he his said accountability didn't he <clears throat> yeah so i would <laughs> i may have said that one but i'm not going to say that because he said it i think i'd there's so many things that you could talk about. There's so many stuff that's outside teaching that you would like improved, like uh, NHS services to schools and stuff like this. But for me, the big problem is academy chains. I, mm. it, it, it's just a nonsensical way of managing education that you have uh, schools connected to each other that aren't necessarily in the same local area. Especially when you're a primary school, you really want to feel part of like a group of schools and you have most in common with the schools in your local area. And some of these, I work for an academy chain that was based, like, I think there were five schools in Manchester and many more. I won't say exactly where because then that will say what the name of the academy chain was, but it was the other side of the country, literally. And we were having to collaborate with those schools rather than the ones that were right next to us down the down the road and it made absolutely no sense and, just, and not only that but you have the financial undercurrents of all of this of the salaries of the ceo people calling themselves ceos in education <laughs> seems to me to be the most ridiculous thing mm. in the world um and it's that undercurrent that someone's benefiting here from educating children that I don't really like. I don't really like that sort of undercurrent. And they call um, parents stakeholders. It's this business language that's coming in through academies that I, I don't like that either. It's, yeah, you can't have a business model in a school, but they do, don't they? 
Anyway, do. I don't I don't work in I've never worked in the academy. I work in a little one form entry Catholic school. So it's very alien to me. And I always said I would never work for an academy, but sooner or later I'm probably going to have to. But primaries, this is why primary schools are cool and primary school teachers are so cool. We stuck it out, didn't we? All hmm. of the secondary schools rolled over and turned into academies straight away. And um, primary schools stuck to their guns and said, We don't want to be academies. And they, they couldn't do it. The government couldn't really force a lot of us so we're still a lot of us local authority run so yeah and that's the same club like, for primary. yeah and that's the same where in stockport where i live almost every primary school is still local authority and because they've chosen to stay as a local authority they're strong you know it's it's not like um further up the road in tameside where there's it's it's like 80 20 the other way where there's uh, and the fact that these these schools have converted to academies means the local authority gets weaker. So then you're having to source your own your own HR and source your own all this sort of stuff. Whereas if like in Stockport where they haven't converted, everyone's managed to hold on, and mm. it's been for the better because around in in Manchester, in the Greater Manchester area, if you ask people, Stockport is known to be like a good authority to work for in education because you get stuff, you get CPD, you get to meet everybody else. And it's, mm. it's just the way that there was no problem with that in the first place. I think maybe there was a problem with secondary schools, but certainly at primary, I don't think there was was we don't really need academisation. No, we don't. Um, I've just, <laughs> Barry's just said, I like to divide primary and secondary. I don't know if I like to do it. It's just we're very different. And we're, um, Rich has backed me up a lot on Twitter for saying this. We're always having to do, and also Michael Merrick, um, is, he's, he'll back me up about this. We're always being told what to do by the secondary people on, on Twitter because there's so many of them. And yet, you know, we, we've got our own good thing going on a lot of the time, and that's one of them. I quite liked Sam's answer, the accountability, but I think I like yours better. The thing uh, is, the accountability thing is obviously a massive thing. Yeah, I agree school. with that too. Now, now we've got, like, basically we're producing data if you – at the moment in reception year one year two year four year six is shit i mean it, it's a farce really yeah. um all this accountability but but yeah i don't i i, I think academization is just a bigger prob problem it's just like kicking a can down the road eventually we can't go some... back though can we that's the problem it can't they, they, they no. can't turn top turn back time no legally but that's why yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know anything about the legal. <laughs> right. Let's let's move on to my next question. What have I written next? Do you think? Oh, well, it was. What's so great about boxing? What is so great about the only thing I know about boxing <laughs> is Tyson Fury yeah. is 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 the best one at the moment, and his brother won Love Island, didn't didn't he? Did he win oh. it? I know I he was so. on it. Oh, did he win it? All oh, right. I didn't know he won it. I what knew was he was his on name it. again? Tommy, Tommy Fury. Yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he won. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. He's not that good at boxing, anyway. Yeah, Sam knows he won. <laughs> Is he not very, he, he's not very good at boxing. No, tell me what's so good about it. I can't stand it. I mean, like, just two people punching each other. I don't see the, the point. But anyway, there must be something, because you love it, don't you? Yeah, and I always have. And it's totally it's total cognitive dissonance here because I don't like violence and I don't like people getting hurt. Do you see what I mean? So, but yeah. in a way, that comes with the territory of, with boxing. Yeah. Um, the thing that I like about boxing, it has many parallels to, to teaching in a way, is that... <laughs> 
I hope not. Here we, <laughs> um, is ultimately, when it comes down to it, if you have two boxers who have the same sort of skill level, which happens, um, the one who wins is the one who works harder. And everything, okay. everything, you, the training and everything, every single thing is drilled, drilled. You know, because I think about this with handwriting, we teach handwriting, get them doing it over again. So it's automatic, don't we? So they don't think about, they're not thinking about how they're writing, they're thinking about what they're writing. Um, and it's the same in boxing. It's almost like when you're fighting, you're on autopilot because you, you're, your moves are already perfected through hours and hours of deliberate practice. You know, good practice makes permanent, which is something that we say in teaching. And I just think it's it, it comes down to most of the time who who wants it more and who works harder. Um, That's a good analogy. And Barry agrees with you. He said, "I like it, love it, drilled." But that's exactly what we do. Like when, because I I haven't been able. I'm, I'm a qualified England boxing coach, but I haven't been able to do it for a couple of years because of time. Basically, I don't have any. But the first thing you do when you get them in the gym. They're not hitting anything. They're working on how they move their feet. Then you'll move on to teaching individual punches. You'll model it over and over again. Um, you'll pick up on little things. And it's it's much harder. To, <laughs> I find it much more difficult to teach a child how to throw a jab than teach them like the seven times table. <laughs> but it's like, but, well, that but, makes a lot of sense um, now you've explained it. But it's still, when you watch it, it is people getting bloody noses and black eyes, and I don't like that very much. It is, so. yeah. yeah. There <laughs> okay. is that side to it, yeah. <laughs> All right. My next question, I think you're going to have a different answer to – Sam, I don't know what, what Barry's going to say. I haven't asked him this yet. Does charisma matter in teaching? See, I thought about when I was listening to Sam's answer, I was thinking this this is the primary and secondary difference again. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think, my, when I first read the question a, couple, a few days ago when you put it on Twitter, I was just like, yeah, of course it does. Of course you've got to be char charismatic. But then... I thought about it more and for me day to day as long as the kids listen to what I say and I have a relationship with them it, and I teach year three so they're uh, seven and eight it's like as long as you're charismatic to them you don't have to be a charismatic person do you like per se like someone who walks in into a room and and sort of people take notice of but as long as in that you engage them with yeah. those kids they they're engaged in what you're saying and you've got those relationships with them so i think it's whether you're charismatic enough for your class to sort of buy into you and so I when i was saying fake it like it, yeah maybe that's what i meant by in the class you have to perform i mean i know if i go in i'm not saying i'm charismatic even though I've got quite a strong personality. But if I go in, I'm having an off day, especially with the older children, well, actually the younger children as well, probably yeah. even more so. Yeah. If, you're, if you're low level, low energy, then they're, they're going to mess around. You know, you, you have to be, like I'm absolutely performing all the time with the little ones, you know, singing yeah. songs, animated, jumping up and down, really enthusiastic, whatever, because that's what they, they need that to, to feel sort of even remotely interested in what you're doing. So I think it's super important, but I don't know whether it, you know, maybe everybody's got a certain level of charisma. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's just I, I we I, I've heard like you know like you don't know what a teacher's like till you've seen them in the classroom mm. because it's almost like they have their own persona when they're teaching because you do put on a show basically. Yeah. But it depends sort of what sort of show you're doing. I remember a few years ago, uh, a guy I was working with was dour as anything. Barely said a word to you. That's a type of charisma, though, isn't it? That you yeah, know those but, sullen but, teachers. But one one day I was sat in a PPA room, which was next to his classroom, and I heard him through the wall, and I literally couldn't believe what I was hearing. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like another I was like, person. Is that him? Really him? But I, I just think maybe we just all do it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think. Yeah, people take on this persona. Whatever I, you I need to like do, you do. I feel like it's an elusive thing that you have to have, even if you're not like somebody, everybody goes, oh, you're charismatic in person, like with other adults, but you have to hold those 30 children. Yeah. They have to kind of look up to you and want the knowledge that you'll get. If they don't want that, if they're switched off, they're going to mess around. And I don't think any, I don't think any box of tricks, any Doug Lamoff, you know, book technique, I don't think that's going to compensate for the, the, the actual, thing that you need to teach no. which is hold your class and 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 make them want to learn from you anyway i, I went off no i agree there. yeah i agree yeah yeah we do agree about a lot yeah, we do, okay yeah. <laughs> my next question is what do you think of the drive towards research in teaching i think i know <laughs> <laughs> the thing is right i was thinking about this question i think you and me are at the same point but we started at different points and i think yeah. we've got to the same point so I obviously did a PhD in sociology. I was used to reading research. So then when I was doing my PGCE, I was, um, you know, I had all this reading to do. And I was thinking, why am I reading something from the 1970s? And why am I reading something from the 1930s? You know, like Vygotsky. And because <laughs> in sociology, in sociology, if you read anything like over 10 years old, other than like Marx, it was just it was just not a thing and then I was reading this research and the quality of it was appalling because I'd done <laughs> research methods and so I, I I couldn't work it out and then that was about 2009 um, and so I thought to myself if someone's doing good educational research there's obviously going to be a market for it because what was around then wasn't worthwhile um, and then that whole movement sort of started um, and people started writing books and publishing stuff and it became more sort of prominent on Twitter. You know, like Daniel Williams' book, Why Do Students Not Like School? Uh, or Don't Like School, I can't remember the exact title. But My students don't like school, like school, I think. Yeah, like someone tweeted the other day that that's like the gold standard. I think it was Carl Hendrick. It's like, he's right, that is a brilliant book. And like when I read that, I thought, yeah, I like this. I think, I think you know. So from there, other people brought out. Uh, it became a bit more prominent, and more people, more books started get talking. People started talking about it, and then the big commentators started picking up on research. So people like Teacher Toolkit, who thought it was nonsense, started picking up on research. People like David Dido started writing books that had research in it. And then it became a thing because then we had research ed, and I was at the first one. Um, I was too. I was and, yeah, sitting at that class. Was that the one where we ended up? Ben in Goldacre. Well, ben, yeah, yeah. ben Goldacre was at the front, and he was talking about 
there was a vampire analogy going on, and I, I was quite offended by him standing up there, essentially <laughs> taking the mick out of teachers. <laughs> He, was, oh, yeah. he, he had a white go at us, like at the and uh, all really foolish and believing loads of stupid things for years on end. But see, my problem was that we weren't doing those things by that point anyway. All, no. all, all of the stuff they were attacking, we'd stopped doing a long time ago. It felt well, certainly I had. Um, after a few years of teaching, you don't do um, those weird group activities where everybody's, you know, got a different. Uh, mole in the group and you've got an envoy running around the class you might do it yeah. for an interview lesson but I mean you can't do that every day can you, well, you no can't. you can't you can't do that every day. you can't <laughs> do that every day but the thing after and so research had started and it was a thing and then loads of other people got involved and then you had these people becoming like research leads in their school yeah and my you think it's made that, teaching better yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. But Maybe. but but I think all I'm all I've been thinking about this whole time is that while you know while it's become more prominent, and people have been talking about it. I'm not sure the quality's improved at all of mm. the of the actual research. And this has always been my issue with it is that you are when you're writing a piece of educational research, you are essentially flattening everything. So all the out, if you're doing like a meta-analysis, you're analyzing loads of things, there's outliers get flattened and, and, and you end up at a midpoint, basically. Uh, it's almost like an average. Now, if a large percentage of those studies are not competently carried out, you're flattening at the wrong point. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? It's like, mm. um, and I... I have a real problem with people who say things like this works because it's proven in the research, because I think you're hard pressed to prove anything. Actually, Dylan Williams said you can only prove what happened in that experiment before, didn't he? He doesn't say you can only like say if you carry out a research project, you can only say that it worked then. It may work some in some other context, but the whole thing about research is you need to repeat these results and like John Hutchison the other day um, put something like best bets he used the language best bets mm. and I think that's where we've got to be at with this you know phonics is the best bet to teach children I'm sorry to to read sorry to mention phonics but it's the best bet but for some kids it doesn't work just like the any other way of reading doesn't work either you know yeah. there's always people children that fall through the cracks there, there is always another piece of research that disproves that piece of research as well, isn't there? Although I guess phonics is one of the best researched areas that there's a huge study, wasn't there? And well, we do do it. Like, yeah, phonics has been researched since, well, years, like since shy, the 60s, yeah, 60s or 50s. And there's, there's, there's lots of evidence. And I've seen it. I think kids in primary school now, we use phonics everywhere, learn to read quicker and better than they well, I wasn't even in schools before, so I probably shouldn't say that. But you I think were. what do you think? I, oh, I don't know because they they might te they might learn to read quicker, but the the comprehension is a much. That's what reading is, yeah. comprehension, and that isn't as simple as teaching uh, to decode the print, and you know, and and because of the focus on phonics, there may have been in some 
schools, not in all of them, less of a an impetus on on the other things, on the infants. And I also think it's had a bit of a detrimental effect on spelling. I've I've seen spelling deteriorate in the last 10 years with these phonetically plausible attempts at spelling, which the children are encouraged to do now. And I know that I've spoken to phonics, real phonics advocates, hardcore ones, no, it's not being taught right. But I think in general, that's that's a thing that's happening and has to be reversed because you get... It's, it's a real problem in sort of years four, five and six dealing with the, whereas when they were learning more sight words, they weren't having these weird guesses at, at basic words. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's I, my yeah. I, I think the, I think the problem is phase six. I've, I've been wrestling with this problem in my head for a couple of years. This is a bit of a diversion, but I think phase six phonics is crucial. It's mm. if, if you teach in four, five, six, it's adding suffixes where they make the mistakes. And I think that that is not, that should be taught phase six really throughout year three and four until yeah. it's totally done. But the phonics check only tests them up to the end of phase exactly. five. Exactly. And, <laughs> so, and, then, and then a lot of schools drop it. No, I agree yeah. with you completely. That might be the solution. But basically with the research thing, I think it's, it's, it's made things better, I think. But I, I, I worry about the way it's being used by government to do stuff we all remember when that study came out and said that tas have no impact on attainment and schools went out and sacked tas and that happened i don't care if like people pretend it definitely happened and we know that the impact of a ta cannot be measured like it's unmeasurable because of of the role they play where they do everything you know and and so that's what i worry about and and that's why when people say it, this proves this, well, no, it doesn't. It proves it's the best, probably your best bet of doing it, but it might not work for, you know, that child there or that one. It's a really good it's point. It's worth a go. You that's know. a really good point. Do you know what? I could talk to you till the end of the show, but I can't because Barry's going to go mad. Yeah, that's fine. He's literally got 10 minutes left oh, at the sorry, end. Barry. And I'm in his house. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk to you, Barry. I am going to talk to you. Um, so the last questions that I said I was going to ask you, I'm not going to be able to, but maybe. No, that's fine. Come, could you come back on again another time? If um, you wanted to do, like, if you wanted to do something on primary literacy, get yeah. Michael on. Get yeah. Chris Andrew on and I'll come on and we'll talk about this spelling. Yeah, thing, I think that's that we could have a really good conversation about that. There's definitely more to explore there. But thank, it's been a real pleasure talking to you too. And it was much easier to talk to you than Sam. Thank you. Sam, <laughs> it was your awful headphones. Okay, <laughs> thank you. And I'm right. going to talk to you in a minute, Barry. So I hope you haven't gone out. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye, Rich. Bye. Hopefully see you soon. Bye. With your phonics teaching. Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. 
I'm your I'm host, host Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about Black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge, and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course, or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Hi, Barry. Are you there? Barry, I can't hear you. Hello, Barry. Barry, come in the same room as me. I can't hear you at all. Says I've been muted. Okay, it's not doing anything. Talk. Are you talking? Oh, but it's not working. Come in the same room. Sorry, people who are listening. Talk, take... Is this what I said hours ago we should do? Well, okay. So Barry's now sitting next to me. Do you want to pull up a chair? I will pull up a chair, thank you. Can everybody hear Barry as well? Give me that little thumbs up sign. Yes, okay. Marvellous. All right. So this is weird. Um, <laughs> Barry, have you got a co- <laughs> have you got a cocktail for me? Oh, I don't drink. Well, listen, we want uh, when where did we go when you got me really drunk? Uh, we went to the Botanist. Right? Did I? Because I can't remember. <laughs> did I drink cocktails then? Yes. And what did I drink? I don't know. Um, Is there a cocktail called Sex on the Beach? Falling into the Corn Star Martini. Well, did you have those tonight? Yep. And some other awful thing that was really strong. I can't remember. I just know I, I was drunk. Okay. I wonder if I could take my earphones off if I'm next to you. Probably not. Okay. I don't know what the earphones are for. Maybe Tom will just could tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels really weird oh, sitting. such a pro. <laughs> sitting, talking to someone wearing earphones. <laughs> right. Okay, Barry, does charisma matter in teaching? Oh, of course it does. <laughs> I think I don't need them. Right, go on. Does technical know-how matter to present a radio show? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Does it, no, tell everybody why charisma matters. Well, look, you want to sit with a boring fart all day, right? <laughs> I mean, it's worse than your job because you're there for hours on end, don't you, with kids? Exactly. Um, for us, secondary school, in theory, you know, you've got probably about 50 minutes, five, zero minutes with them. You could maybe get away with being boring. You only see them maybe twice a week, but... He wants to work with boring people. So what would you do if one of your teachers was really boring? Was really boring? Would you say, get a personality? I, yeah, I'd get a personality. I'd get a new job. That's what I'd say. No, I wouldn't say that. I'll be all over Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you might be all over Twitter in a minute with somebody listening quotes you. Well, look, 
everybody can be a bigger version of themselves. That's what I always, that's always my mantra. Yeah, that's what I meant about faking it. Yeah. So you have to be a, a bigger, bigger person of yourself. Of yourself. No, may, bigger you, you may never be a consumer performer. You may never be that interesting, but you can be a bigger version of yourself. You can work on your subject knowledge. You can work on your delivery skills. You can record yourself. You can record your own voice, which is really important. I often say to people, record your own voice. Oh, I don't like recording my voice. Well, somebody else has got to listen to you all day. So you've got to listen <laughs> to you, right? And notice your verbal tics, whatever it may be. Are you interesting? Are you boring? Can you be less boring? You know, it amazes me that so many people ever teaching that really, you think, well, what made you think you should be a professional performer standing in front of an audience for five days a week? It's a, you know, it's not a job that everybody can do, yet a lot of people think they can do it when really they're not that good at it. That's a really good take on it. I think um, I agree with you completely. No, okay. You, don't. you never agree with me completely. No, I do. Stop lying. I agree with that. <laughs> Okay, my next question is, what is the best... You don't read edgy books. Well, I do. I pick them up. What about the battle hymn of the Tiger Teacher? Well, I would... I mean, I haven't read it. Neither neither (laughs) have I. I wrote parts of it, but I haven't read it. I would have read bits of it. I I own it. What? You own what? I own a copy of that book. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I mean, again, there's lots of books I'll buy and I'll pick up. Oh, Sam likes that book. Good, good, good. Uh, Well, look, I mean, it's an amazing school. They do amazing things. There's no choice about it. Um... There's lots of education books that I'll read, I'll pick up parts of. I think, oh, God, this is just saying the absolutely obvious a lot of the time. And if you're pointing this crew, I can't, can't read anything. I haven't got my glasses on. Okay, all right. right. <laughs> if we had Braille, I'd be okay. Um, no, there's a lot of books that I pick up and I think this is just stating the obvious. Um, so that's why education books. I, I will be writing some books when I get some time. Uh, I've been on the road a lot, but um, when I get some time, I, I want to write some books. Will you write about teaching French? I'll write a book about teaching French. I'll then do a book on actually French resources. There's a market for that. And I'll be writing about culture, turning schools around, uh, making teaching better, making culture better. Just Okay, I probably won't read any of those. Well, you should read them, Beijing. You should. If you only did as I told you more often, your life would be so I don't, I'm not better. interested in how to teach French, to be honest. No, but you could learn how to become a better teacher like me. Okay. <laughs> I could only aspire to be the teacher no, you are. Yeah, come on, really, can you? Yeah, you're right. There's Not no really. <laughs> Actually, do you want a recital? Got... Oh, right, but you would hear the Milky Way song. Yeah, I don't know. Do I have to wear these earphones? Oh, I'm not sure. No one's told you know, me. You're not big on electricity and technology. Come on, then. You do Charge of the Light Brigade. Okay, um, right. You can't even remember it. Right, half... well, I haven't done it for months. Half a league, half a league, half a league on with all in the Valley of Death, road to 600. Four with the Light Brigade. Charge for the guns, he said, into the Valley of Death, road to 600. Four with the Light Brigade. Was there a man dismayed? Not there, a soldier knew someone had blundered. There's not to make reply. There's not to reason why. There's but to do and die into the Valley of Death, road to 600. Cannon to right of them. Cannon to left of them. Cannon in front of them. But it's a very long poem. You yeah, you know, end? you can stop now. I was going to say, I know the whole poem. It's boring. It's not boring. It's bloody marvellous. What are you talking about? Do you want me to do mine? You milk your way one. Do you know any proper poems? Yeah. They're the not, wind is a torrent of darkness among the gusty trees. I'm doing actions as well, by the way. Oh, so the moon was a ghostly own. galleon tossed upon cloudy seas. Oh, the road was a ribbon of moonlight over the purple moor when the highwayman came riding, riding, riding. The highwayman came riding up to the old inn door. I could, I could do the whole... There was an old woman from me. Anyway. Okay, right. I think I won. You okay. can vote on right. that. Okay, we'll do as you mind you. Shall we? No, let's you? stop. I think we've bored everybody enough. I've been enough. traveling from the Mexico. <laughs> I could do dozens of them. 
Okay, so can I. Oh, yeah, you've got right, This is going to be continued later in the pub. <laughs> right, uh, has the research drive improved stuff? I want that. Who was that Richard bloke? I want to Richard Fallow. I like him. I, I like him. No, but I told I, no, but you I, he's no, good. No, but you said you agreed with him. I thought, God, what's he going to talk about? But, but you agree with me. No, I think, when? Okay, carry on. Uh, no, but he was really good. I like what he was saying about research. And what, I, what I'm very aware of is I feel there's a big marketing push. It's research-based. It's evidence-based. And I'm thinking, meh. So I like what he was saying. I want to hear more from Richard. He's uh, he's thanked you for that. And I've also got Tom Rogers messaging me here. I, I'll need that later. Okay, so you... He's probably saying, stop, Barry, stop him. <laughs> no, there's an echo, but not, I don't think, right now. Okay, what do you think of Edu Twitter, Barry? I'm not sure if you do it as well as me. You've got fewer followers. No, you've got lots of followers, but you know... But I think it's because I do, tw I do Twitter better than you, don't you think? No, I think... I say it this way. Do you want to be, in our time, um, Melvin Bragg, which is more me, with more Who's niche. Melvin Bragg? He's simply intellectual. You wouldn't understand. Um, or do you want to be more Simon Cowell? I know, X -factor, I know who you. Melvin Bragg is. <laughs> Listen... Um, you're Simon Cowell? No, that's you. I can't no, understand you're, your you're... accent. I'm not Simon Cowell. <laughs> I love it in the beginning when you, you and Elephant Man were talking about um, accents. And <laughs> you could call him Elephant Man now. And you're going, cool, blimey, I ain't got no accent, me. Oh, no, pretty flowers. <laughs> I don't sound, do I still sound like I'm from London? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> Where were we? What needs to change in teaching? Oh, God, you've given me two minutes to tell you that. No, we can overrun. <laughs> Tom said we can overrun. Oh, that's very good. Enough. Um, thank you, Tom. Um, everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. Um, I think uh, one of the major things that's wrong is teachers lack self-confidence and they allow children to abuse them on a daily basis. Uh, that is something that's seriously wrong, I think. In some ways, it's too easy to become a teacher because you've got teachers that aren't necessarily suited to the job. And it's a bloody hard job if you're not suited to the job. Uh, I think it's too fad-laden. Do you think teacher training should be longer? Because I really do. I think it should be different. I don't know what. I think maybe there's... You see, I'm tempted to say the selection process should be different, so we should be getting different people in. But then if we, if we only selected people that... I would like people that... Enjoy kids, like being with kids. Uh, I would like people that have got good delivery skills. I would like people that have got good subject knowledge. I'm not saying you need brilliant subject knowledge, but good subject knowledge and an interest in your subject. I'm thinking from a very secondary perspective. I think we need to be more selective. Aspo says yeah. teach specific techniques along a time scale as with junior doctors. And Richard said the ECF is good that takes a massive amount of time and money for schools. This is what I'm hearing about ECF, yeah. Uh, That's I, early career framework for people who don't know. Yeah, I know that. I'm dealing with the I'm kids. I'm saying for people who yeah, don't know. I'm dealing with the kids, I know these things. Okay, but you think that there are a lot of people who are underconfident in yeah. teaching and, of course and that they let children abuse. Yeah. Is that to do with the SLTs in the school Very or often. is that because... Very often. yeah. An SLT or... It worries me. If you've been a head teacher for several years in your school and the behaviour is still really bad, you've got to ask yourself some serious questions. Why is the behaviour so bad? And do you think they pass the buck on to the teachers? I think they're not addressing the core issues. I think I think it's frightening, though, isn't it? Because, they, for example, if you if you permanently exclude somebody, it can cost the school a fortune, right? So there's that issue. We shouldn't get the stage where you have to permanently exclude lots of people anyway. But then it's the small stuff. It was um, the elephant man was saying earlier. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it, it, when, for example, God, I'm losing. Hi, it. Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Who's Rachel? Rachel Rossiter. She's just said she said she was oh. going to listen and call in. If you want to ask a question, you can just type it, and I'll read it out. So what was I saying? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the small stuff. It's when you know, I'm in the papers virtually every week because I insist the children say good morning. I say good morning. I always say to the kids, we're very polite to you. You're very polite to us. And then parents will complain to the press the crisis who will say, oh, my child's mental health. The teacher's making him say good morning. No, you've got to teach basic courtesy in schools, and we're not doing it. And that is a major factor. Teachers are ignored, um, and kids show teachers a lot of contempt. And it's, it's, it's become normalised in too many schools. I think, well, this is a big primary, secondary divide here, mm. because I don't think that is the case in primary schools. Exactly. I can show you in year sevens. And this first half term, they're already doing it. So whether they pick that up now, I'm not saying there isn't yeah. there isn't behaviour issues in schools in primary schools. There, I've certainly seen a fair few schools with them, but I don't think it's the scale. I mean, I tell you what happened to me a few years ago. I did a project. Jane, it's not all of them. I did a project with a secondary school and I went and I observed a secondary English teacher. I'm not going to name the school or teacher or anything like that, but I was uh, I was amazed. By what when what passed as okay behaviour wise because yeah. in in any primary school I've worked mm -hmm. in it it would not have been acceptable to be spoken to like that or for the children mm -hmm. at the back of the room to be doing the things yeah. they were doing and I was I I just came away so, thinking I couldn't be a secondary school teacher yeah. and deal with this every day Absolutely. and that did for a little while give me some sympathy for the mm -hmm. whole Douglas Moth thing and why secondary Douglamoff thing, you know what? Why early career secondary teachers are grasping? Did ever mention that Doug grasping? said he wished I taught his children? Did I ever tell you that? Did you ever what? Did I ever tell you that Doug said he's not like Doug? Yeah, he said I wish Barry Smith taught my children. Did I mention that? <laughs> no, you didn't. But anyway, oh, um, no, I agree. It's bloody awful. It's no, but I, I thought you would be grasping for anything, wouldn't you? If if you're being disrespected, and also maybe they. They're getting their confidence eroded because of that. You know, they probably so, went in quite a few years. You're in a school with 1,100 kids, 1,500 kids. How many interactions do you have with kids every day? And a lot of those kids, as a matter of course, are deliberately going out of their way to treat you with contempt. It's mm. awful. And yeah, I definitely. Well, I definitely could do. And Richard said, "I agree with Jane. It's easier for us because we have the kids all day. Mm. We do, and they're littler. They're littler. And a different relationship. It's got to be a very." And Rachel's saying, "This is why teachers should visit other schools regularly, so you don't get entrenched in individual school cultures around behaviour." Mm. And Richard, I like this. I'm not convinced visiting schools is that useful. Everyone says it is. Obviously, I visit schools for a living. Yeah, um, I don't know. I worry, I will talk about this, but I worry about edgy tourists that go, oh, we'll go to McHale and take a little bit of this, we'll go to Charters do a little bit of that, we'll go to Dixon do a little bit of that, and then they put it all together and it's a kind of a mess. So I worry about edgy tourism, I really do. Okay, we're allowed to run over, even though it's 4.30, so I'm going to ask you, you a couple of... You do know we've got to drink and we've got to eat. We I've got that. to publish this as well. And so. you've got to publish this. Okay, okay, for just five more minutes. So things? I'm going to ask... Sorry? Do you publish things? I, I put it after, wow. yeah. Um, what is My the most helpful thing? Now, I'm going to ask you a question I didn't ask Richard. What is the most helpful thing anyone has ever said to you in teaching? And have you any advice for people thinking of it as a career? I'll do the second part first. Um, teaching, teaching, teaching. Would I recommend it? I don't know. Really don't know. I enjoy it. Um, but you have to have a very good SLT. 
you have to have a very good SLT. If you haven't got a good SLT, then it's a bloody awful job. Um, advice for me, people give me advice for teaching. Um, I can't remember any, any great pearls of wisdom, really. I've just, I remember when I first started, it was very single swim. And, and that was it, really. I just had to learn to swim. I think, yeah, it was definitely single swim for me back in the 90s. Um, I think you have to get through the first few years. And I don't know how much having a supportive, uh, you know, like people who really cosseted me in my early career would have helped me because ultimately you're in that room with those 30 children. And if somebody comes in to support behaviour, you've got to do it on your own at some point anyway. Um, and I don't, however strict a system is, I don't know that that really helps. I'd, yeah, I've, got a funny, I've got a funny point of view about behaviour systems. I just, I don't think it's about a behaviour, I don't think a behaviour system works. I think you have to have those relationships with those children and you can try and implement, this. one teacher can try and implement a behaviour policy and, and it will work for them and then the other teacher will try and it won't. I think it's about the relationship. Good leadership models that and shows people how to do work. But you can't yeah. copy someone else, Barry. This is the thing, you can't, you can't copy somebody's copy charisma. Somebody. You can't copy I'm somebody's... Relationships. Listen. What do you mean? Listen. I'm listening. <laughs> you, listen, you've got to have systems. You've got to have uh, a coherence across the school. You've got to have, you can't allow teachers all to do their own well, thing. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying let them do their own thing, but you, you might be on the surface doing the same behaviour system, but whether or not children respond to it is to do with your relationship with them. Relationship is integral to everything you do, of course it is. Mm. But you give a framework for teachers to use and that will help them develop their relationship. And what I always say is if you have a standardised system, you have a house style, then it means that everything becomes easier. You've got less to think about. It's, um, I think it was, again, it was um, Richard said, um, you, it becomes an autopilot habit. That's what you need. Do you really want to be an habit. autopilot yes. when you're teaching? Yes, for so much that you do because it's a very monotonous job. How you get them in, how you, how you hand out books. Oh, see, no, I don't, I don't get on. How you hand out books. If somebody comes into my class and says, you hand out books this way. Actually, I have worked in settings where I've been told how, how to hand out books. Um, I, didn't, I didn't work in that setting much longer after that. I mean, I, I don't... I, I go into classrooms all the time. With why people, do you tell people how to hand out their books? Because they make choices, they're really stupid choices, and they start their lesson as chaotic as a consequence. But what if, what if you can hand out the books in a non-chaotic way, but your own way, but somebody says to you, you've got to hand them out this way? Right. I show schools systems to make their life easier. No, no, answer no, my no. question. Uh, you'd have to convince me that you're always better than mine. Yeah, and if I did, you'd let me do it my and way? if you're always better than mine, I'd say great. No, not better, just no, equally no, no, as good. No, I need better. I need better because I need consistency. So if you can be better... Why do you need consistency? Because Sarah? I need is it, predictability. This, this is the thing that? about maths. I feel like it's control no, freakery. it's not. It's because a kid goes to see six different teachers every day. You see all these Okay, teachers. maybe it's a secondary teachers primary need, thing. Exactly. Might be a secondary teachers primary need, thing. It definitely is. Teachers need predictability. Kids need predictability. Okay. Where there's not predictability, kids are looking for cracks. And they go, oh, I'll be here for him. I won't be here for her. I will be here for him. It, I'll pick and choose. You can't have kids picking and choosing what they be here for. So this is how we support every single teacher. Now, if you've got a strong teacher and he thinks, oh, I've got my own methods, I don't need the standard house style, I'm going to say to the strong teacher, look, I need you to adopt our methodology because some of your star quality, your charisma, for want of a better word, will be 
scattered throughout the school and the kids will go, ah, Mr. Jones is really charismatic and great and we love him. And also Mrs. Evans, who's not that good, she does things similarly to him. We need that cohesion. It helps weaker teachers. Okay, that does sort of make sense to me. See, when you listen to me, it always But makes no, sense. only because I realise that it's different in secondary school. Because if you if you go into a primary school, and I and a lot, this is why I get so aggravated about the whole thing. There there is a trend of bringing that to primary schools. You know, you have to do the the this system, and why when you're with I those children for five hours stupid, a day? Thing, no, but in a primary things. school, when you're with them five hours a day, why would you have to do? I find it hard why to would you have the to primary do school this? teachers don't also do stupid things. I'm sure they do, exactly. but I don't think People as many. Do oh, no, come <laughs> on, you're talking that rubbish again. What's the best way to hand out books, Barry? Backhand or top spin, um, Rachel? Rachel, come and see me one day, I'll show you. Easy. All right, well, we've overrun by five minutes, and um, maybe you can come back on another time. That's very good of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. you. I'm sorry about the technical issues earlier in the show. You can I'm come sorry. Time. I'm sorry for calling you an elephant. Uh, Samuel, but, I like um, it. thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.